Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Thursday, February 8th. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. We're joined by John Bryce of Football Scoop and Irish Illustrated, and, of course, Pete Sampson from The Athletic. Lots to talk about here in early February. Uh, we're going to talk about some possible coaching movement, some decommitments. Uh, but first, let's talk about the interviews that and and I, I gave a shout out in today's Thursday thoughts, not published yet. But I mean, Notre Dame with Marcus Freeman and the and 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 his people, his staff that that brings us all together. I mean, we're we're almost getting spoiled now. What a great opportunity to meet these early entry freshmen, grad transfers, Lauren Lando. Um, I think it's pretty great. But let's start there. Um, and everybody, I think, wants to know on the outside, who we were impressed with in the interview situation, the interview room, um, who impressed you guys? Well, I wrote about it Monday, Tim, that, that they should have always been doing this. And you, you're right. Credit to Marcus, Ellen Wazalewski, Katie Lonergan, Katie Lonergan Claire, Walker, Claire Kramer for uh, putting Claire them out Kramer. because they could have been doing this forever. Notre Dame's freshmen were also wonderfully well-spoken and interesting back in 2015 and 2010 and 2005 and a lot of those things. So it's great to have them. It gives us much better insight. Um, Riley Leonard's the obvious answer, but I don't think that's what people are looking for. If you haven't seen Riley Leonard's interviews, I think you should all read about Riley Leonard or watch him talk because it is as enjoyable as it gets just from a human being standpoint. Um, I was surprised that they let Kedron Young play high school football last year as a 25-year-old. So that was weird <laughs> for me when I first met him. Um, that's good news for Irish fans. He is uh, He is game ready in terms of his body. Would you guys agree? Sure. Um, I, I don't know that I was as blown away as you were, but uh, no doubt about it. He's a freshman. He's put together really well. He's a big back with some pop. And um, yeah, I, I I really didn't get a chance to spend much time around him. The one bad thing about this is that you don't have an opportunity to spend all the time that you want with each individual. But hey, that's... Yeah, you get about four or five if you have a meaningful conversation. That's yeah, you know, to. but I mean, there's no other way for Nordin to do it without really elongating these interviews. I, I think they do a sensational job. And again, I want to shout out to all those people because they've, they've done a great job for us. Uh, uh, Pete, what I, I know that you spent a lot of time with uh, Lauren Lando. I tried to, to, to peek in on that a little bit. What were some of your thoughts about uh, his comments? I mean, I, I think he sort of cuts against the grain for your stereotypical strength coach. Um which, you know, Marcus Freeman wanted. So I think he, you could see sort of a, a truth and not truth in advertising, but like, this is, this is sort of the guy that or the kind of guy that Freeman wanted from the get go. So it was interesting to sort of hear him talk through some of his training philosophies. Um, I think sort of the broad base working, whether that is Olympic gymnasts or UFC fighters or, MLB uh, or NFL teams, um, I think that will all serve no, not just Notre Dame football, but like Notre Dame big picture well. Um, you know, I'll be, you know, I am interested to sort of see how his personality fits with maybe some of the younger players who maybe need more of a kick in the butt because um, I think he comes in with more of a professional approach, um, which means that the players need to also be a little bit more professional. Um so that's, I mean, that's sort of something kind of interesting down the road. But, um, you know, when he talks about 
you know, having a plan for the team, but then a plan for the quarterback room and then a plan for the individual quarterbacks. Um, that all is sort of what Freeman was really looking forward and for. And, um, you know, talking to Brady Quinn about his experience with Lando uh, was interesting to it sort of filled in some gaps about, you know, what he's actually like. And Quinn said he's the best guy he's ever worked with. John yeah. Bryce. I, uh, I like Pete. I spent a lot of time with Lauren Lando. Um, I found him very interesting. Uh, interesting that he said this made perfect timing for him because he and his wife were about to be empty nesters. He's still got his gyms going in the Denver area. They're still very successful. Um, I liked his approach. Pete asked a great question. If, um, if it was more construction work, so to speak of the athlete at the collegiate level and maintenance work of the athlete at the NFL level. And, and Lauren assented to that. Um, he, I think has gained some instant credibility with this team from the work that he's done already, the people that he's trained. Um, I do think that his diversity in training background is going to help Notre Dame uh, potentially pull the most out of each individual football player. Um, and, you know, collectively we'll see how he continues to mold the team from like a camaraderie standpoint. That was one thing that, that Matt Bayless excelled at, and that's what we'll see Lauren put his fingerprints on. And then, you know, a couple of names that you added to the board, I believe, Tim, that he has officially hired on staff are, are Travis Duffel and then Rich Guaraccio. Duffel is um, Lando's pulse. He's been with him consecutively for about nine years. Uh, Guaraccio has big-time Power 5 experience in the SEC at both uh, LSU and South Carolina, I believe, and then also an extended run at Washington State. Then really enjoyed talking with Eric Goins, the um, elder statesman kicker who noted uh, something that I found very interesting. His former strength coach at um, the Citadel, I think last name, um, it's a Cajun last name, maybe like Boucher, seriously. Um, he and Lauren Lando are really close friends, and so he said that it's been very much of the same, uh, just maybe unbelievable facilities as he's transitioned from the Citadel to training at Notre Dame. I really enjoyed uh, talking with Chris Mitchell. You know, when you, you know, a lot of times you talk to a guy and then you read the written word and it, 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 it's interpreted a little bit differently. I think if you read the written word of Chris Mitchell, it sounds kind of boastful, but it really doesn't come off that way. He's just a kid that's got a lot of confidence in his ability. He's excited about his opportunity to play at Notre Dame and play at this level. And I got good feelings about him. I, I did in watching his film and I feel even better having spoken with him. I like Micah Gilbert. I talk about physical maturity, uh, which he certainly has. He has maturity in general. I really, I really like that kid. I don't know how much opportunity there will be because the, the receiver room is a little bit more crowded than it was. But again, if you have a couple injuries or look, if he's good with any of those young receivers, if they're good, they'll get an opportunity. They'll find their way to the field. Uh, Tim, you were, Anthony Knapp was a guy that, that I think you were impressed with. Yeah. And I just want to piggyback really what fast, what you said about Micah Gilbert's opportunity. You have hit the nail on the head of what Notre Dame wants in his wide receiver room. Right. I don't know if their good freshman will get an immediate opportunity. Cause that's exactly what you're supposed to do as a playoff program is not know if you need them or not. I hope Anthony Knapp becomes a very good, I believe starting center for Notre Dame because the way he talked uh, because everybody's going to love listening to Anthony Knapp talk. He's fun and it's not, uh, it, it's kind of like 
you you could tell you that he is going to be a popular person with the team just because he's fun to talk to. It's one of those situations. Like I just kind of mentioned, I used to work in Roswell where he's from, and he was like amazed by the situation. Like, really? <laughs> like it was just a it was just a really fun conversation with a young developing player. He's gonna you bring about you bring up Lauren Lando, he's gonna be reshaping Anthony Knapp uh over these next couple yeah. years. But Knapp mentioned right away, I asked him who he leans on. Um, and he said Ashton Craig is who he works with. And then he yeah, said he's cool. working center and right tackle. And he just looks like a future center. Obviously, yeah. I'm jumping the gun. I, but I don't know how good Peter Jones is going to be. We've heard mixed uh, reactions to that. That dude's put together, though. Yes, yes. There, yeah. there is no doubt about that. And I want I want to say this, and I know I'll say it again out of frustration, but this this notion of seeing a two-minute clip of Notre Dame in the weight room and determining whether the strength and conditioning coach is going to be really good or he doesn't have the right motivation is absolute nonsense. If you've ever worked out in a weight room with other athletes, there's plenty of motivation going on in that space. Uh, You're motivated by your teammates. You've got other assistant coaches. I do want to point out a lot of people asked about Fred Hale. Fred Hale was retained by Lauren Lando. Uh, man, what's the other guy that he, re- what the other, uh, you know, the other guy that he retained JB. Don't, I, n- I don't have his uh, name yeah, on the I tip of my have... tongue. Um, I did yeah. double check though, that, that former Citadel strength coach and it is, I was correct. It was, his name is Donnell Boucher. So um, I wasn't lying with the Bobby Boucher. <laughs> Bobby Boucher's cousin. Reference yeah. It is Donnell Boucher that Eric Goins said he trained under on the Citadel and Donnell Boucher and Lauren Lando are very tight and and deploy similar tactics. Is he an H2O specialist as well? He, he got a lot in his medulla oblongata. Okay. <laughs> All right, moving, moving on. We expect I don't I don't Owen Strebig, we ex, uh, expect the offensive tackle to uh be verbally committing here today. I think there'll be plenty of news on that. CJ May decommitment from Notre Dame, maybe part decommitment part Hey, if you're going to be shopping around, we don't want you to be committed type of thing. I don't want, again, here's one of the stereotypes. Immediately, it's like, oh, well, he's not that good. He's got a pretty decent ceiling, and that's a loss. I, I don't care any way, you, any, any way you cut it, whether it was his decision, Notre Dame's combination, whatever, it's a loss. Now, I will make the trade if you'll give me Damian Shanklin. I think Notre Dame will be just fine. Um but look, if you with with the camaraderie that Notre Dame has going on right now within their program, if you're going to keep looking and keep visiting, then you 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 can't be committed to Notre Dame anymore. Yeah, and and look, it was always going to be a tough pull to to hang on to CJ May uh, in a lot of ways, very similar with Keon Keeley. Um, I think that Auburn has uh, risen to the absolute forefront for CJ May. Be fairly surprised if that isn't where he ultimately uh, ends up committing once again. He's a really fine player. I talked with an SEC assistant coach about him just within the last two weeks, and um, he'd seen him for a while and, and thought he might be the best player in the state of Alabama. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not Keon Keeley, not even close to Keon Keeley, but somebody that you'd rather have in your class than not have in your class. Um, and so that's, that's a setback, but like as Priester said, like if you can go Shanklin for May, somebody a little bit more in state, probably a little bit more easier fit for you at Notre Dame. Um, you know, we've talked, you know, kids from Indiana typically um, do pretty well up here. So that would be, 
I think it'd be a, a trade you'd be okay with if you're Notre Dame. Sure, a trade you make, but I still think of it as free agent signings at that position. Both is the answer because yes, yes. that is the answer for Alabama yes. and Georgia and Ohio State. So it's got to be the answer for Notre Dame. But I think the loss, though, even with the trade is when you say, you know, you, you know it is a loss. But it's especially a loss because it's not an easy position for Notre Dame to recruit successfully, consistently. They get... They, I mean, you could go find edge rushers of the last six years at Notre Dame. They've done a great job with some of those guys. They're in the pros, and they're going to keep going the pros. But it, it's not a factor. Either. If you say, well, they lost a guard, the top guard prospect in their class, but they have these, they'd have three other guys they could bring in. That's why I think it's more of a loss when it's the yeah. edge rusher situation. Yeah. Well, it's not an either-or situation. You don't, like, you can't, yeah. say, oh, hey, we get, we, we're going to get one night. But Damian Shanklin. QB is the either our situation basically that's left over. Yeah. It's quarterback and tight end in some ways, I guess. Yeah, Damon Shanklin's ceiling is extremely high. Um, Tom Loy and, and Steve Wilfong have, uh, right? They I think they both have a crystal ball on Shanklin going to Notre Dame, and I'm uh, I'm all in on that. We want to we want to wrap up this segment. I, I hinted at it at the beginning, but um, you know, we know about L. Washington and Boston College head coaching candidate, defensive coordinator candidate, what's real there. There could still be some other activity with Notre Dame's uh, Notre Dame's coaching staff, which shouldn't be a surprise because it's still that time of year. It's still pre-Super Bowl. Yep. Everything will hit the fan post-Super Bowl, I guess. But, uh, John, why don't you lend some insight into the L. Washington situation as well as a couple other Coaches, we've talked about Chris O'Leary before. He was in demand last year by the Ravens. We've talked about the Chargers as a possibility. JB, go. Yeah, um, well, kudos to Al Washington, really, for advancing through this process because um, there have been a number of sitting head coaches. Boston College talked with Paul Christ. Uh, obviously, Bill O'Brien is right there in the mix. And ultimately, I expect this to be Bill O'Brien's job, but um, – Al Washington isn't the only BC alum that was interviewed in this process. They interviewed Clemson's secondary coach. I forget his name. It might be Mike Reed. He's also a former player. He has not advanced along the way that Al Washington has in this process. I don't really think Al is is um, is at the top of Bill O'Brien's list to potentially be um, defensive coordinator at Boston College. However, I do think Bill O'Brien has his eyes on a, another valuable member of Notre Dame's staff, and that's Max Bala. Um, he and Bill O'Brien have past relationships uh, from the NFL and as well as both being at the University of Alabama together. If Bill O'Brien uh, ultimately gets the, the Boston College job as expected, then I think he will seek to hire Max Bulla, who's um, by all accounts and everyone I've talked to in the football program here at Notre Dame, done a fabulous job working with Notre Dame's linebackers, been really, really valuable. A lot of people believe he's got a, a wide open runway ahead of him as a really fine collegiate defensive football coach. So um, I do think that either way, there's going to be some impact to Notre Dame's defensive coaching staff as this Boston College search wraps up. And then Chris O'Leary, no secret um, that he's been on the Chargers radar um, and the Chargers continue to not really take no for an answer from Chris O'Leary. And it's not just uh, the lure of the NFL, but Jesse Minner is an incredibly close friend of Chris O'Leary and they their time together goes all the way back to when they were both on staff at Georgia State, so I would continue to monitor that situation incredibly closely. You know, I have two thoughts on on this. Um, Chris O'Leary, I feel like we talk about the safety room so much, like that 
not being necessarily always up to par with the players, the safety room plays pretty well. He turned DJ Brown into a viable player as a corner. Ramon Henderson into a guy that helped them as a corner to a safety. Xavier Watts into the, what we know of Xavier Watts right now, the defensive player of the year. I mean, that's a lot of that has to go to Chris O'Leary. That, he's a damn he's, good coach. He he's deserves some, some respect. I mean, now that's you just why need the NFL's to bring, interested in him every year. Yeah. I mean, you know, it'd be great to just keep getting Kyle Hamilton for Chris O'Leary, but he's developing players that you never would have thought would have been good safeties. Three, There's three of them right there could have been total busts at Notre Dame. He developed into two-year starter, player of the year, and a and a good backup in Rowan Henderson. Yeah, very, I mean, very good developmental coach. Um, yeah, I, I think that's been it – w- it was sort of skewed at the beginning because you're like – it's like your tight ends coach at Notre Dame, <laughs> and you're like, well, you developed Michael Mayer. Congratulations. Um, like, that's how I felt with Kyle Hamilton. You're like, all right, let's, yeah. let's just see a little <laughs> bit more here. But then you see Watts, um, you know, Brown. I mean, I'm trying to think, you know, when Hamilton gets hurt and Brown has to start the back half of that season, like, did a did a pretty good job, I thought. He did. No, he didn't. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think he's gotten a lot out of the material on hand. Um, and that's that's a real credit to him. I mean, it, so, yeah, it's I as somebody who just takes what he has and maximizes it, I mean, that's... That's much more of the NFL uh, resume, right? Like, you don't need to be a great recruiter in the NFL. Yeah, You got to be a great coach. And I think Chris O'Leary is pretty much right there as a great coach. I would just think O'Leary should hold out and try to get the safeties job at Baltimore someday because that is a fun job in the NFL right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, trust me, Kyle Hamilton tried to help facilitate that a year ago <laughs> at this time. You know, and and I think we all thought that James Laurinaitis had a great future as a as a linebacker's coach. But then you're then you watch Max Bola coach and listen to him coach and he's big time. That would be a loss uh, for Notre Dame. Uh, it, it's unfortunate, but you you can't keep you can't keep assistant coaches to assistants uh, in in the program very long. Real quick to wrap it up, we we are already getting questions about well if Al Washington's gone, who would replace him? That's it's a little hard to get it's a little hard to get to that level before we know what Al Washington's going to do. Some of the names thrown out, Pat Koontz, I don't like that. I, I I love Pat Koontz, but I don't think Pat Koontz is right for the Notre Dame defensive uh, line uh, job. Larry Black's a guy that everybody loved at Notre Dame when he was here. He's at Vanderbilt. Uh, Tyler Stockton just went to – I mean, these are familiar. Yeah, Tyler Stockton's names. had too many promotions recently, yeah, probably. He's, he's at Bo- Boise State now. These are Notre Dame names. It's not going outside of that, but – I got to believe that Larry Black would probably do a really good job at Notre Dame. He wanted to be at he was in Notre Dame. He wanted to be at Notre Dame as a full time guy. I'm just throwing that name out there without any real insight. First of all, whether L. Washington's going to be around, I, I think it's a long shot. It's definitely a long shot that L. Washington's the head coach at Boston College, and I think it's still a bit of a long shot that he's DC at Boston College as well. I think it's uh it's probably would behoove everyone to look at the Cincinnati staff uh and see who's there, who was there when Marcus Freeman was there. Um and maybe they moved on to Wisconsin since that's Greg Scruggs. Um Marcus Freeman is in the habit of just drinking Luke Fickle's milkshake yeah. uh with coaches. So would, yeah, you know uh, that'd be a name yeah. to compete. That'd be a name to at least keep in mind. Okay. Sounds good. Coming up, segment two, burning up the boards. 
Welcome back to segment two, burning up the boards. Our first question is from Bill V. 6118. Tim Priester, I wonder if that's Bill Varner. We can find out. Maybe he'll write back oh. in and ask us. Uh, besides Charles Jagasa, Emil Wagner, Tosh Baker, and incoming freshman Gerby Lambert, are there any other possibilities for the two tackle spots? And how do you see things playing out if you had to guess? And we would I, be I, guessing right now. I got to say, believe it or not, Billy Varner's name is in this in today's Thursday Thoughts. Wow. Right? That's that, a weird that, thing. Unbelievable. That's, that's a strange anyway, thing. That's not why I, then why I chose that. But uh, besides Charles Jagasa, Emil Wagner, Tosh Baker, and Gerby Lambert, do we need? Do they need somebody else? I mean, <laughs> I think those are the four, I think, right? <laughs> I think those are. I think those are. Um, you know, I realize that there's not a lot of playing experience there, but I think those are the guys that you want to choose from. Every one of those guys was a desired recruit when Notre Dame landed them, and they're still desired. Emil Wagner. Uh, I think is still a strong candidate. Tosh Baker, uh, I, I recent conversations with Harry Heastan, by the way, he has a lot of confidence in Tosh Baker emerging. Uh, you know, I don't know if Gerby Lambert's going to be ready for that. Jagasaw, I've talked about being more of a, you know, a right, right tackle or guard, but he wasn't even close to being in the kind of physical condition that he's likely to be in August if he doesn't have any kind of setbacks along the way. So, you know, keep in mind, Will Black's coming in next year, and we expect Owen Strebig and Jack Lang to come in as well. So the offensive tackle situation is going to change. But give me those four to work with this year. Uh, would you like a, a – yeah, you'd like an experienced uh, grad transfer left tackle. That would be great. But those are pretty good candidates from which to choose. Yeah, I would – I'm curious. Curious to see the spring for Sullivan Absher. There's a lot of people in the program that really like him, and he was certainly an incredibly highly rated recruit that Notre Dame was extremely um, excited to get committed in the program. He's got good size, six seven. Um, I think they like his arm length as well, so it's an important spring for him. He's had a year in college football, a year in training for college football. He played briefly in the Sun Bowl near the end there against Oregon State, so he got just a taste of of collegiate experience there going into winter conditioning. So he's a guy, you know, a consensus four-star player um, was rated very highly at the offensive line position. So that's, that's a guy I'm curious to watch because he does have such natural size. Thanks for pointing him out, John. I was remiss in not, uh, in not mentioning him. And I, I did like what I saw of him, you know, the brief glimpses, glimpses that we had last year as well. Uh, yeah. It's four candidates, five candidates. That's, you know, unless you're going to go in the portal, which Notre Dame has monitored, um, that's that's a healthy spot to be. I mean, not, not every position is going to be uh, fourth and fifth year seniors, although Notre Dame's entire defense seems like it is. Um, tackle is just one of those spots that's not right now. If Notre Dame's offensive tackles were fourth year seniors, as their defense is right now, they would really be ranked good. number three in the country going into the season. Yep. That, that is point, yeah. And to the transfer portal, uh, I'll be a broken record here and point out there's still one more out there. There's still one more window when a lot of guys are going to go through spring camp everywhere and realize we, we're going to take a fresh start and, and head somewhere new in the summer. So that April 15 to April 30 portal will still be a uh, time frame to watch for Notre Dame in, in any potential roster attrition and enhancement at that time. I know these names don't sound amazing now, but imagine last, like imagine before they left six months before they left. If I said, yeah, that spring portal is going to knock out Tyler Buckner, Lorenzo styles, Prince Collie and Logan Diggs from Notre Dame's team. Fans would have died. 
Yeah. Those those four names at one point in one class were as big as you could get from a well, class. Kind of like the exodus of the wide receivers, right? <laughs> after yeah, uh, yeah, great point. After the exodus of of Chancey Stuckey, uh, and and where are they now? I mean, I think I think wide receiver has a chance to be a strength. Overreacting, overreacting. But to I mean, even we would. Move? I think all four of us, if you said before before the twenty twenty two season started, yeah, but none of these guys are going to be here in twenty twenty three. Collie Styles, Buckner, and Diggs. Yeah, you'd be like, what? That would be shocking. Would you be? You uh, not to IJ. You would have been surprised by that. No, not surprised they left. How bad of a reaction to it? Uh, yeah, Logan okay. Dick, Lorenzo Styles was the number one receiver going to the year that year. Logan Diggs was easily one A to estimate one B because he was the guy coming back. Prince Collie was everyone's new guy, at, and then Tyler Buckner was your starting quarterback. Okay, all right. You're saying before the season. Okay. I'm saying before that year began when you saw the warts. And you think you, you think that is a shocker, and that's what you're going to be looking at every year. All right. Question from DMB three four six. Looking at the defensive line without Gabe Rubio, we only have two players that are over three hundred pounds, and one of them is freshman Sean Sevillano. Do you think this is a recruiting problem, a problem of the uh, now former strength and conditioning program, or just plain bad luck with Notre Dame's defensive tackle signees over the last few years? I mean, it's not a problem of the now former strength and conditioning program because some of the bodies aren't meant for that frame. Howard Cross wasn't going to be that size guy. It could be it could be who you target in recruiting. Like Howard Cross, six, what, six years ago now? <laughs> Howard Cross, Tim Priester always had him going to defensive tackle. He ended up being the nose um, for various reasons in Golden and Elston and Washington's defense. He was a strong side defensive end size when they recruited him, right? I mean, I think it's targeting the recruiting and getting some bad luck with defensive tackle signees over the years. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's difficult to be over 300 pounds if you're shorter than 6'3". Yeah. Um, I think they just have some shorter defensive tackles. Um, you just don't carry as much weight as you would otherwise. Um, you know, Jason Anye is 6'5", but, like, kind of still – a leaner, like look more like an athlete than like a pure defensive tackle. I agree. Um, yeah. So I don't, I guess I just don't see this as a, a problem uh, exactly, but it just, those are the body types they've recruited. I think they're trying to recruit a little bit more length. And if you recruit more length that there's more weight you can put on there um, that they've been pretty intentional about that. And I would say just quickly, I mean, look much like right now, Ohio state, Wide receiver recruiting has basically been unparalleled by anyone else in college football for the last three or four years. Right now, Georgia and Alabama, from a defensive tackle standpoint, are pretty freaking hard to beat out for guys if they really prioritize them, not only because of the on-field success for those two programs, but look how many interior defensive linemen they both have in the NFL right now. So um, I don't think it's a, a deficiency. I think it's a byproduct of um, the landscape right now and guys want to go to those two schools because they're churning out um, top level NFL players left and right. The same as Ohio state uh, has put and been the best wide receiver core in college football for several years. We use 300 as the, the measuring stick, but that's just because it's a round number. I mean, why can't it be 295? Why can't it be 290? Um, I, I think DMB's issue is that Georgia and Alabama is 330 and they move like they're 290. I, I get that. Yeah. I get uh, and and Notre Dame's probably never going to quite recruit to that level as Georgia and, and Alabama do. And I, and I get that. 
not very concerned about the interior defensive line with Mills and Cross coming back. And I do think that Anya can play, you know, in the in the low to maybe 295 range. I'm still really bullish on him. I think there's a lot there. I love his length. Uh, but, you know, point taken, uh, as you say, Tim, about Georgia and, you know, the Heinishes of the world and, um, you know, Devin Houston, uh, those yeah, guys. Brennan Vernon's a guy that we expect to to convert or to move from strong side end to defensive tackle, you know, probably in the 275 range or something along there. Point taken. Um, but let, let's just, let's see what the body types look like when it really matters, which is eight months from now. Next question from Hayden Adams Z. Was Riley Mills or Xavier Watts last year's Asmar Bilal Javon McKinley award winner? Who are your top candidates for 2024? I want to hijack it by saying Riley Mills was always ascending. That's the opposite of Bilal and McKinley. So we're looking for fifth year guys that come out of that. You're like, that guy can't play. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, that guy's good. That's yeah, not an example, but uh, John and P you guys jump in. Yeah. I mean, first O'Malley's right. Like the, the nature of that uh, award Watson Mills would not qualify. Uh, for that, you know, for Bilal McKinley, it's like kind of a journeyman who, you know, then turns it on at the very end. So, I mean, the entire, I think Batello actually would still qualify for this position, um, you know, because he's, he's been okay. Um, you know, but if you took bowl games out of it, I'm not sure that you could really point to a, a whole lot that's been like sustainable there. So, um Patello would be my number one candidate for that. Um, I know that we like Jaden Thomas, but like between injuries and bad quarterback play, doesn't have a ton of production. Uh, if he had a really good year, I think he could be sort of in this uh, group as well. Can I can I go Tosh Baker here? Like I, yes. I don't really, I don't really know the rules mm. of this, but <laughs> that is Tosh the rule. Baker, just that would it. be a Tosh Baker would be straight Asmer Bilal. I mean. Yeah. You know, has almost not played at all in right. four years. Tosh um, Baker would be my my pick. Um, I feel like he's been in South Bend longer than I have, and I've lived here six years now. So, um, you know, Tosh Baker. Howard Cross be, has uh, been here longer than you, possibly. That's, yeah. 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 Uh, Tosh Baker would be – I mean, I like Patello. Um, Tosh Baker would absolutely be my guy. And then, um, you know, Kevin Ballman, if he, if he comes back healthy and is a significant contributor. You know, I like his makeup. I like the way he plays football. He just hasn't been able to stay healthy. Yeah, Tosh Baker was my choice. I think that's a good pick by you, JB. I, you know, I don't know, again, not an exact uh, Bilal McKinley comparison, but they sure could use Jaden Mickey to take a massive step up. Um, again, not the same, not the same kind of category as as Tosh Baker, but that's a guy you'd really like to see take a significant step forward. They need it. You know, I mean, you just don't know. You've got, you've got Ben Morrison on one side and it's kind of like a security blanket. Well, what if he has a, you know, what if he gets nicked up in September? Well, now you're, now you got to dig a little bit deeper and a couple guys have to really emerge there. But uh, I, you know, again, I, Harry, he stands a guy that has a lot of faith in Tosh Baker um, just in a, in a conversation. And so that's good enough for me. We did skip one, Tim. I'll drop back here for a quick answer on it. ND Dan 106. We've seen ND step up with coaching salaries and contracts. Is this a product of the new apparel and TV contracts? 
or the administration finagling slash adjusting to the market of college football coaches? Guys, have I, hadn't even, I hadn't even noticed that that question. So um, penalties to me for not more closely reading Tim Priester's morning homework. But um, I think it's the administration. I think it's the administration doing everything in its power to position Marcus Freeman in Notre Dame football for long-term sustained success. And also, again, think um, you can't pay lip service in the marketplace right now. Too many coaches are being paid very well throughout college football. Too many coaches are trying like hell to get into NFL football because college has become uh, harder than ever before uh, as a place to coach because of roster demands, NIL, transfer portal, all of that. So, um, again, I hadn't noticed that question, but I'm glad that you went back to it, TP, because I want to point out, again, the Notre Dame now um, going into this 24 season is going to have a top five paid offensive coordinator, a top five paid defensive coordinator, and a top five paid strength coach. That's not to say they're not competitive in some other areas. They're on the lower end of the spectrum on a couple of specific assistant coaching salaries. Um, but right there at, at arguably the three most crucial assistant positions in the program under Marcus Freeman, OCDC, and strength coach, Notre Dame is top five in the country in all three. Yeah, I mean, that's not arguable. Those are the three most important assistant coaching positions. I wanted to argue with you, Pete. No, so yeah, there's no argument, John. We'll argue about not arguing. Brian um, Kelly told us this we'll in 2009. They're the yes. three most important <laughs> positions. It's uh, I had a question in my mailbag this week. Somebody was concerned that Notre Dame was dropping the ball potentially on Marcus Freeman's contract extension because there was interest or not in Alabama. And I was like, if Notre Dame wanted to really support Marcus Freeman, they would do it with pay at OC, DC and strength coach, not his own contract like this. This is how you support a head coach, not giving him a contract extension earlier after two years. So um, Notre Dame is paying a lot for those positions. I know that there are people in the admin who look at it and be like, man, this is getting expensive, but this is what it takes uh, in 2024 for college football. And Notre Dame is swallowing hard and doing it. Yeah. And, and, and to your point there quickly, Pete on Alabama, look, Texas A&M probably kicked its tires on on Marcus Freeman. Alabama, that was that was the non-entity. It, to wrap up this question, and we've had questions from people about, I think probably last week, about Pete Bavacqua, difference, how are things going to be different? I think that's a man in charge that's going to continue to push for spending in these areas, and that will make people, that will make Notre Dame fans uh, a lot happier. Where are we, Tim? We're at System Man 167151. Does anybody else look at that and see Joe Montana, Keith Von Horst, and Dick Buckus like I do? Because that's where my name, my my face always goes. Oh, wow. Really, really weird guy. Over under 25% chance, Rocket Ishmael percent chance, Steve Angeli is the starter in week one. I'll under. just say under and recuse myself from the rest of this conversation. Under, under. Everybody's under. saying under, I bet. Yeah, under. Next question. I, <laughs> I just like. I understand that Steve Angeli played great in the bowl game. I thought it was impressive. I thought it was noteworthy. And I think it's important that he sticks around and is the starting quarterback in 25 and 26 until CJ Carr uh, has enough time in the weight room to be prepared to play at this level. Um, but come on, man. What we you can't, this is the real world of college football now. You can't spend all that money on a six foot four athletic quarterback in Duke and expect there to be an open competition. It's just not realistic. 
yeah, it's uh, whatever the percentages are of Riley Leonard picking up an injury in training camp. Right. I, you know what? I, there's an over 25% chance in my mind because of injuries and how Leonard plays so aggressively that Steve Angeli has to start a game for Notre Dame. Next oh, yeah. I, oh, I 100% yeah. agree on that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it's I, I think it's really, really important that Notre Dame emphasizes to Angeli that you're the starter in 2025. Um, and, you know, if something happens, Ryder Leonard, of course, you go in in 2024. But this yeah. is the oh, world we yeah. live in now, and it's not that's not – you don't, that's, that's a, that's a misappropriation of funds. Yes. If yes. You, that's bad you, general manager. You got to fire yeah, your general I mean, manager if that happens. Yeah, that's, <laughs> it, you, just, you can't, you can't do that. You just, yeah. Financial stewardship is now a part of, of running a college football program. There you go. Um, but yeah, Steve Angeli, I think w- would be there to start and, and it's paramount to retain him. I wouldn't guarantee he would be the, the starter in 25, but you want to hold on to him. You keep him for 24 and you tell him it's tell absolutely him. an open competition going into January of 25. Yeah. And I'd probably tell him you're probably the leader, just even if he's not, because you got to keep him. That's also yep. part of college football. Now why we want you on our yeah. team as long as possible. So stretching, I'm going to tell you this, taking <laughs> the truth and stretching it as far yeah, just as stretch the truth can. a little bit. It's fine. Right. Um, but I think it's important that he stays uh, coach Aguilar asked, what would you attribute the recent success in safety recruiting? Second part, do you see the same level of improvement in defensive tackle recruiting in this class? I think the safety is twofold. I think um, having Kyle Hamilton is a huge asset because guys are looking at where players are from in the NFL. And Kyle Hamilton is a great ambassador for Notre Dame that that, um, Notre Dame social Kevin and Katie and those folks do a great job of continually highlighting Notre Dame through uh, Notre Dame, former Notre Dame players through the Notre Dame Twitter account. I think Chris O'Leary is a part of that. And I think, um, Marcus Freeman and Chad Bowden are huge elements in that because they prioritized it, especially Marcus Freeman. You watch the NFL season this year. You'd probably say the, uh, especially the playoffs too. It, five people, you had to name five people as a casual fan that watch playoffs. You'd say Mahomes, Kelsey, Lamar Jackson for the wrong reason, Kyle Hamilton and Christian McCaffrey and Brock Purdy, I guess, because he's all over the news now. But you, if you just watched them play and didn't know the story, Kyle Hamilton's like the third guy. I said he was the third best player on the field in that game, and the other two are in the Hall of Fame the second they retire. Well, five years after they retire. Yeah, and and Kyle Hamilton was just uh, dazzling in the Pro Bowl for for anybody desperate enough to watch flag football. And Xavier Xavier Watts, if you Xavier Watts is the <laughs> defensive player the of the Pro year at Bowl. safety. I mean, yeah, that's Xavier Watts helps. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was just going to add yeah. him. Tim. I mean, he's a defensive player of the year. You're coaching, you're recruiting at Notre Dame, and you say. See Harrison Smith, he's going to the Hall of Fame. See Kyle Hamilton, he's on the path to do that. See uh, Julian Love, converted to safety, all pro selection. Uh, and oh, by the way, Alohi Gilman just had his best season uh, and is now a starter in the NFL. I, you know, I don't know if all of those things are contributing to that, but all you have to do is look is look at the productivity at the safety position. And that certainly isn't hurting Notre Dame's efforts in the recruiting. The uh, second part of that, I do not see the same level of improvement at DT in the, in recruiting classes because it's very, very hard for Notre Dame, as yeah. you guys pointed out, to win those. Yes. Yeah. yeah, because they're undersized. Like uh, ND Dan 106. Wait, was that who that was? No, it was DMB 346. Yeah, but it's not a lack of emphasis or, or effort. No. Again, I just go back hard. to the fact it's Georgia and Alabama, the same way that Ohio State basically chooses wide receivers right now. Yeah. 
We got a, a couple of uh, Riley Leonard questions. First from Irish Rhino. Does Riley Leonard have a higher ceiling but lower floor than Sam Hartman? What will have to happen for his ceiling to be reached? And then from Chubby Squirrel, would Riley Leonard have been the pick if he by Notre Dame if he had two years of eligibility instead of one? I think Riley Leonard has a, a higher ceiling than Sam Hartman because he's got more natural size than Sam Hartman. And um, as we continue to watch college football evolve, we're seeing it be more and more imperative that guys can do stuff with their wheels. And I think Riley Leonard can do that. And, and again, I'll go back to some uh, coaches that I talked to for that story uh, that I did for us right at the first of the year, whenever it was scouting Riley Leonard from the ACC and so many coaches, one of the first things they said to me about Riley Leonard was that guy's an athlete. And one coach specifically had gone to watch him on a recruiting visit and talked to me about a dunk that Riley Leonard had in a basketball game. So I like Riley Leonard's ceiling. I think it's a little bit more than Sam Hartman's ceiling. And I still think he would have been the choice with two years instead of one. If you like him well enough to spend a whole bunch of money on him now, why wouldn't you like him well enough to, to have a potential for a two-year starter at quarterback? which you've yet to have uh, if you're Marcus Freeman. Does he I have a lower like, floor? Lower floor, yeah. Pete? Yeah, he's definitely yeah. got a lower yeah. floor, and I would like him a lot more with two years of eligibility than one. I, yeah. I'm gonna, I guess I don't know if I'm misreading the question, but like no, – you, you I, I didn't know how to interpret that. I, okay. I think I know. I think I know what he means exactly. Would Notre Dame bring in Riley Leonard for two years because you're definitely chasing off two of your three quarterbacks okay. right now? Yes. And they 100% would because then you yeah. just move on to Deuce Knight and yeah. whoever stays. Uh, on the floor part, I mean, Hartman was was exactly what he was um, coming in, going out. And that was a that was a pretty good passer. Uh, Leonard really could be all over the place. Um, you know, he's in... I appreciated uh, in his interview that he he acknowledged like sort of like I've got weaknesses. We all know what they are. Um, you know, and that's as a pastor, I talked to Kevin Johns as quarterback coach OC at Duke. And, you know, it's like you, you talk to these coaches about their players, they can't help, but compliment them because it's just kind of how those interviews go. And he's like, you know, he's, he's developing as a pastor. Like he needs, he needs work there. Um, you know, and he talked about how his footwork is just not where it needs to be cons as often as it needs to be. Um, I, you know, his accuracy is okay. Um, you know, I, I don't know how much you're going to improve that, but like they need to figure out a way to improve that. So there's, there's a lot of development for Riley Leonard, which is why if you had him for two years, I would be even more intrigued by him than I already am at one year. Yeah, I think he changes the offense from the standpoint of the running game, just how you attack the running game. The running backs won't have as many yards because he will be picking some of those up. And, Pete, I think that's completely fair to say about him in the passing game. Uh, but I like I like the chances of him showing improvement with Gino Guadulli as the quarterback's coach. Look at how – and, again, it's it could be apples and oranges. I, I don't know, but – Look at how Steve Angeli developed last year. We, we, like we could see already in August mm -hmm. and September that Steve Angeli, August, I guess I should say, that Steve Angeli was a much more confident quarterback in what he was doing. He had great knowledge of of running the offense, and then it all came together in the bowl game. So, I you know I I like I like those chances. The other thing is, Angeli's going to not Angeli. <laughs> Leonard is going to have a better receiving core than the one that Sam Hartman had last year. 
There's just very yeah. little doubt about that, especially if, you know, the Jaden Thomases of the world can stay healthy. Jaden Thomas, Jaden Greathouse, instead of being hurt most of the year, can stay healthy. Uh, that will assist Riley Leonard. I have to throw in here so we're intellectually honest. I never understood the Riley Leonard high draft pick stuff when he was playing well last September because of his passing. Because other guys at the NFL level can run when they chase you defensively. Um, but Al Golden was very worried about Riley Leonard when they were playing Riley Leonard. Like that, that as a as a college quarterback weapon, Al Golden was really worried about Riley Leonard. Um, more so than Brendan Armstrong, who everybody worried about at the time, too. Yeah, I, I think it had to do with, um, again, his size, Tim, and, and the NFL drafts on potential. And people continue to see a lot of potential. And had he sustained that over the course of the season, they were going to, yep. you know, look at him next to a Daniel Jones, fair or not, because that's the guy he replaced at Duke. And then they were going to look at him next to some some other guys like a, a Josh Allen. I'm not comparing him. I'm saying from just the way they play the game. So I think that's why had he sustained that across an entire season with people on their schedule or like a Notre Dame, then I think that's why you, you saw some of that. I still think that um, scouts are very intrigued by Riley Leonard. I was, I absolutely shared Al Golden's opinion about Riley yeah. Leonard. I was, I was shooting off flares in June and July about what Riley, Riley Leonard might be able to do against Notre Dame. And it does, it does. It starts with the feet <clears throat> because if he can do that, then it opens other things up and, with your running backs, your short passing game, your your inter intermediate passing game, et cetera. So, um, yeah, uh, but I but I agree with what Pete Sampson is saying, and he has a lot to prove uh, it, with consistency throwing the football. You can yeah, see that's what it's about. Here and there, about. where he can he can wing it. The ball, you know, he's got a nice loose arm, and the ball comes off his hand. But it's just the consistency of accuracy. Having a better receiving core will certainly help there. Question from not J to fell one, given the uncertainty with Gabriel Rubio, which young player or players in, is in the best position to back up Howard Cross? Rubio is technically Mills backup. I know it's a weird thing because Ru Rubio is also a defensive tackle like Mills, even though he's the biggest player. Anya backs up Cross. Um, so the next defensive tackle in right now is Donovan Heinisch. And it's not close. I, mean, yeah. I think it's I think it's a key a key spring for uh, Donovan Houston, and I think it's Devin Houston, absolutely yeah, yeah. Devin, for Devin Houston, yeah, yeah, yeah Devin, sorry, and it's absolutely um, an imperative spring for Tyson Ford. Yeah, they yeah. Um, they need one of the one of those guys. This I don't I don't even know what the Javon McKinley Asmer Bilal equivalent breakout story is for a backup. Um, Anya. Anya, I guess. Um, they need, you know, Anya and Heinish. They need to take huge steps this I, year. I think they're going to get a guy in the portal, a Chris Smith type now in April. Well, that could happen. We, we I haven't, I don't know that we've gotten any inklings of, of that. I, I, I'm really fascinated to see how big Brennan Vernon will be by August. Yeah. And, and and what he can do. Who did I compare him to? What did I say he has a Bosa? The Bosa's, yeah. Had a Bosa mi mindset. I'm all for it. I stand by that. I, I don't <laughs> think that he has the... the uh, he does not have a Chase Young mindset. A, I'll tell you that. No, I don't, I don't think that he has the physical ability of a Bosa, but I think he's a kind of uh, wired the same way. Uh, I, but, I, you know, I'm very... 
I think Jason Anya can be good. I, I really, really do. I do too. Yeah. No, I, I think he, I think he could be a, a quality first guy off the bench on the interior. I think it's probably time to ask Al, as long as we're asking Al Washington. If not, we'll ask Al Golden. What uh, if Anya has tra- you know cross trained enough? Could you have Jason Anya be the one-two punch behind Mills now at because def- he's a nose tackle? Can he easily move the defensive tackle? And do you put in somebody else that knows? Length. He's got yeah. great length for that position. It, like like an ideal frame and body for that position. The the three technique. Next question is from Gaj 0026. What recruit that is not committed that ND is recruiting? Do you hope they ultimately land in the 25 class? Obviously, do not pick someone Notre Dame cannot take. I am not privy to all the transcripts, but I, I've said uh, D- uh, Damian Shanklin is is my first choice. Yeah, it's a position of need. I'm not going to disagree with with TP there. Yep, that would be. I mean, I like Dallas Golden a lot. Maybe he's got see. a cool name, um, <laughs> but super talented too. I mean, they're just you could. They've come a, a long way in the secondary with recruiting that yeah. uh, they can probably get away with not having him, but uh, defensive linemen, they have not come that far. Um, so they, they need everybody they can get up front. Yeah. And they've on been both. in it on. Oh, sorry. No, I, I agree on both. I just want to throw in, in terms of intrigue, because if we tell love talking about ceilings when they're two years away from playing is Derek Meadows, the intrigue is pretty high. And just yeah. like they've been so good on Mark Zachary all along and had him to campus so many times. Plus he's an in-state guy. He's highly regarded. He's one I would have in that mix. Like I, I think it's important for Notre Dame to get Mark Zachary. I agree with all those guys. They're all sensational prospects. Jack Lang. I, I don't, I didn't say him first because I'm assuming that he's going to end up in Notre Dame. I don't know that a hundred percent, but feel confident about that. These are all good football. These are all really good football prospects that Notre Dame has a really good chance of landing. And yeah, variety we, of positions. Uh, let's uh, let's wrap things up. We're going to talk a little Super Bowl here, uh, past and present, uh, from Irish A two outside of Joe Montana, and this is this is going to be in O'Malley's wheelhouse because there's a couple other forty. <laughs> I have an I have an easy one for this one. <laughs> yeah, what is your favorite performance by a Notre Dame player in a Super Bowl? And they there there hasn't been. I mean, Joe Theismann won a Super Bowl, but he had modest numbers. He was actually intercepted twice in that Super Bowl. Notre Dame players. He had a really bad Super Bowl. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Well, that, yeah. (laughs) uh, You know, I mean, uh, well, John Riggins ran for 166 in that game too, but. No, I mean, he had a really bad one the next year. He had a really bad Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, Notre Dame players, there haven't been that many that have really excelled. I got one that took me one second to think of because Ricky Waters, three touchdowns, including down the post uh, from Steve Young (laughs) against the Chargers is Mm -hmm. my favorite one behind all of Joe Montana's four. Interesting. Yeah, it's, uh, I had a question in my mailbag about like last Super Bowl performance by a Notre Dame player. There was kind of in the vein of like Hamilton, uh, Tranquil, Banks, Kyron Williams. Like Notre Dame had a little bit of some buzzier players in the NFL playoffs this year than they usually Mm do. Yeah. I was shocked when I started thinking about like the last good performance by a Notre Dame frontline player in the Super Bowl. I, I was like, I do I have to Justin Tuck? Yeah, he Jerome, was the best player on the field Jerome that had Tom Bettis. Brady and Randy Moss. 
it uh, it goes back a ways. So, um, well, Bettis didn't do much in in his Super no. Bowl. No, Justin Tuck was the best player on a football field that day on a football field with Randy Moss and Tom yeah. Brady. So it's yeah, there's just not uh, not a lot of them. Um, I forgot about Ricky Waters entirely, even though I watched that game because yeah. it wasn't like fifty five to twenty. Yeah, or like that they, was the that that yeah. Super Bowl was played two weeks prior against Dallas. Yeah. So it was, that, I just remember San Humphreys being terrible. That's fun. <laughs> That 51 yard uh, uh, reception, it was a great throw. He also eluded two tackles to make it a, you know, a, a really sensational 51 yarder. Ross Browner had 10 tackles in a losing effort. Mm. Pretty dominant in that, that game, but that was a long, long time ago. Mark Bavaro had the touchdown against uh, Denver. Um, and he was the best tight end at the time. So that's uh that was a good David one, Gibbons scored in Super Bowls. I that's believe. right. That's a yes, good call. Twice. That's a trivia question. I mean, Tux yeah. is actually better than Waters. Tux, I mean, Waters was one of the guys that could have scored 12 touchdowns that day. He scored yeah. three, and Tuck was amazing. Yeah, I think I, I couldn't find, like, the last Notre Dame player to, like, start a Super Bowl and, like, was maybe, was it Ryan Harris in 2015? I think that might be right. because uh, uh, No, McGlinchey. McGlinchey. Oh, McGlinchey, yeah. Oh, McGlinchey okay. started for the Niners. Yep, Skoranek. I mean, Skoranek is. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. My prop uh, bet there was, will he make a catch in the game? And he made one. Yeah. David Givens, though, I, I'm glad you brought that up because he scored in two Super Bowls. He, he scored did. in two separate Super Bowls. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He's that's, a, a gr- that's a great, great trivia question. All right. We're going to wrap it up. Super Bowl predictions. Um, God, I've got to be careful about how I express my opinions here. Yes, you do. I, I, uh, I Explain don't to the readers what you're saying. Well, my point was that that unless you're a, I mean, unless you're a Kansas City fan, you don't want Kansas City to win the Super Bowl again. Like, don't you want that? The most NFL fans of of various teams want it spread out. They don't want a team dominating the Super Bowl. But your additional point was the 49ers have a little overexposure in the Super Bowls as well. So that's kind of like you wanted, yeah, you'd prefer the Ravens Lions type thing right now as, I a, would, as a fan. I, you know, it, it, without having a rooting interest either way, I thought the Lions would be fun to watch because I think the nation would have kind of rallied around. Everybody loves Dan Campbell, right? I mean, you can't, they would kind of rallied around the Lions. But uh, the 49ers are one and a half point favorite. The over under is 47 and a half. Uh, have at it, guys. I'll go 24-20 Chiefs. Mm, I have a 21-17 San Francisco, and if that hits, then I will take you guys all out to dinner somewhere nice. Nice. I'll so that means you actually have it, like uh, maybe yeah. with Tim Murray. Also, okay, if Drew Tranquil makes the first interception of the game, because I only bet on uh, Notre Dame players from Fort Wayne. You can take us to dinner, <laughs> but I'll pick up the tab. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Tim, I know you have a rooting interest here, but I also know that you're an objective. Uh, yeah, I am. I, I would never bet against Patrick Mahomes in a Super Bowl. Um, Brock Purdy is no Jimmy Garoppolo, but he's no Patrick Mahomes either. Um, can you imagine the difference between like early game nerves between Patrick Mahomes and Brock Purdy? Right now? Mahomes in his fourth Super Bowl. He's already lost one. He's already won a couple. And then there's Brock Purdy running out there. Yeah, I actually like the 49ers. I felt were a much better team. Then Green Bay and Detroit. I was wrong that they were much better than Detroit because Detroit's really peaking. But I had a bad feeling going into those games that things weren't going right and I thought they could lose. I think I have a feeling the 49ers are going to win, actually. I am not. It's it's basically 
handling Chris Jones for me inside. Um, and then Mahomes not just being otherworldly. Uh, I know Pacheco's battling a couple of injuries. I don't know if how much they're I'm praying that's the case because I think I love Isaiah Pacheco. I would take him on my team anytime if Christian McCaffrey wasn't already the running back. Um, I have a feeling they're gonna win in the in that 27-23 range. Yeah, I'm I'm hopeful as a Chiefs fan. I can't say that I'm optimistic because I think the Niners are the more complete team and uh Joe Thune is not a, likely to play, and I think that's a significant loss on a Chiefs line that is nice but not not as good as the San Fran line. Have you guys kept up Tim and Pete with the weirdest Super Bowl theme ever of that Steve Wilkes, the defensive coordinator, having to show tape of a lack of effort by the Nordic, by some of the players on the 49ers defense the last two games. I, I have not. I've he literally had to call out players for a lack of running to the ball in the NFC championship game in Green Bay, specifically Chase Young. If you guys want to Google it, it's yeah, the touchdown no, I'm, by, I'm aware that it was said. I haven't seen it. It's or, touchdown by Jameer Gibbs. Watch Chase Young the whole time. I've never seen a guy try less on a play in a game that mattered in my life. Wow. Wow, that's and I don't uh, get it, and I assume he won't do it again because he's in the Super Bowl. Right? Yeah, you got two <laughs> weeks as a teaching. You won the game, and you got two weeks teaching tape. Wow. We talk yeah. about that all the time. That that also plays in to help San Francisco. Well, as some someone that grew up, as someone that remembers every Super Bowl and remembers going through a long period of time where Super Bowls were totally one sided. Well, yeah. yeah, I think that uh, you know, I think that this should very much be a competitive game. I don't expect it to be one-sided. I hope the 49ers win, but I can't choose against Patrick Mahomes in this situation. I almost feel like if it's one-sided, it, the other team's going to come roaring back in the game. They're both capable of coming. Like, obviously, Mahomes could just go nuts if he's behind, and the yeah, 49ers the Chiefs, are always behind recently. <laughs> the, the Chiefs had to do that to beat San Fran in the last Super Bowl. I mean, they had to come roaring back. Yeah, Pur- Purdy hits that throw that Jimmy G missed for the clutcher. Yeah. Well, it should be fun. And uh, also what should be fun is we have uh, spring football coming up in about a month. We're going to continue on our one podcast per week role here for a little bit. And then when interviews we get, tomorrow, a whole new group of people. Interviews interview. are. Yeah. Interviews are tomorrow. Do we talk about some of the guys that are going to be. It's the freshman early enrollees you haven't seen. Plus RJ Oban, um, Jordan Clark. I actually just pulled this thing up. Yeah, and I, Williams was a scratch last week. I assume he'll be in the, the kicker. Oh, and Kia. Kahanu uh, Kia. That's Kahanu an interesting Kia one. We'll be back. Bryce Young, of course, KVA, of course, uh, Erlocker, Logan Thomas. So, yeah, we'll be talking to those guys. We'll share our thoughts on that next week. But until then, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, John Bryce, Pete Sampson. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider. <laughs>